Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends. Post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's Voice Hacks podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about unique low voices. We have a special guest today. We've got R.A. Voltaire, also known as Rav, from Ravenous Eternal Hunger, the band. How you doing, man? Doing fucking awesome, man. How are you? I'm great. What I'm really excited to talk to you about is the internet. I've seen you streaming on Twitch a lot, and I love that because I want to talk more to singers who do the Twitch streaming because I, I want to hear you know what it's been able to bring to you. I'm sure it's opened up a whole new audience. You have a whole new way to reach people with your singing. Yeah, shit, I don't even have to leave my house. That's so great. I just, you know, I don't even have to put on clothes. I could just show up, roll in in my underwear and be like, yo, this is what we're doing today. Here's the show. Let's enjoy it together. Uh, it's been phenomenal, honestly. Um, you know, and I got to give the shout out to uh, Grant Truesdale from Unleash the Archers because he's the one that convinced me to do it. Yeah. He's like, man, you got a great personality and you're all wacky and zany. That's the kind of <laughs> shit that people want to see on the internet. You know, you just go be wacky and zany on Twitch. You'll be surprised. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. You know, I'm like, what, like what all this, you know, people don't want all this sit up in their face and in their monitors. And then uh, within like a couple months of doing it, it just kind of blew up and it's almost like a full-time job now where it's like planning out different shows, different types of events, different creative things that you can do. And, and, and it's great though, because much in the same way that touring in a band is like, you play your same 45 minute to one hour set every night. Now it's like five shows a week and I got to do a different kind of show every single day. So it's really kind of broadened that horizon yeah. on what I'm doing um, and what kind of content that I tackle. But then the other side is, like you said, the audience thing. We thought that we'd have like a bunch of ravenous fans showing up to support the Twitch thing. But the reality with Twitch is if you're not a Twitch kind of person, you never will be. Or, you know, or if you're just you don't you're not into it, you're not going to go and just check it out. Yeah. It's people that are into Twitch are the ones that are on Twitch are the ones that are supporting streamers and stuff. So we ended up getting a whole separate secondary fan base, basically. Wow. Yeah. That discovered us on Twitch or found us through, you know, someone else, because there is a very strong like team uh, community type of uh, feel when it comes to Twitch. Their fan base comes and checks us out. And we, there yes. are fans, go and check them out. And it became this whole big communal circle where it's like, man, within like a couple months of being on here, now we have this like whole separate family that we didn't know existed. And they're like some of my favorite people in the world now. Granted, I also only know their usernames. Like I don't even know their real names. So if I ever saw them in person, I'd be like, yo, big metal dong 73. How you doing, dog? <laughs> there he is, my homie. You don't actually know who they are. Well, I think actually now that live streaming so before like a few years ago when when youtubing was more the thing um and youtube covers were more the thing there's a lot of production you can do like i can tune my vocals i could do this i can do that that's why people are specific about a live sing through versus a pre-recorded cover that 
now we're lip syncing to essentially. And I think Twitch, you're not the first yep. uh, streamer to say this to me where they're trying to be really transparent and like show some of their vocal editing and tracking and all the things that you're mentioning, the actual production, which does air out the flaws. But at the same time, I actually feel like it's the live streaming like that has brought people around almost full circle now where we've come away from the high production and now people are actually getting back to wanting to hear a bit more of a realistic vocal sound of how vocalists actually sound and I I owe a lot of that to live streaming and people doing that kind of stuff. And one of the things I love most about that is people basically coming up to well coming up to us but saying to us online, "Man, this sounds amazing. Can't wait to hear it when it's mixed and mastered." And these are regular people that do not play music or anything, but it's it's showing a level of consumer comprehension where it used to be you know people just thought that you know the way you sounded on your album that's how you sounded all the time oh yeah yeah and now people get it they're like man you put in the work you practice you'll do a hundred takes of the same sentence just to get it right and get the feeling right and all the work that you put in thank you so much for putting in the work this sounds awesome just as raw tracks i can't wait to hear when it's all like pieced together and now they're they're excited listening to that raw making mistakes version and they get that you know there's going to be a bit of time and a bit of extra production and we are going to get this amazing product thank you so much for putting in the work rather than you know what they see on youtube it's just like hey here's a new cover and bah, it's perfect and then nobody sees everything that had to go into making that happen especially people that do them you know weekly bi-weekly whatever it may be there is so much work that goes into that and now that consumers get that they're more appreciative of when something comes out they're you know people aren't just farting these out they're like, you're putting in the work. And consumers also know when people are faking it now, where they're like, dude, pre-recorded shredding, really? Like, is that what it's come to? Mm -hmm. You know, like, just play your parts. It's cool to have mistakes. It's not a big deal. Don't try to, like, dupe us into thinking you're you're perfect at what you do. We'd rather see the human version yes. than just get these perfect, you know, TikTok videos and expect you to be like, oh, my God, this guy's so perfect. We should hire him for our album. And then you get him. You're like, oh, this guy sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's really changing the relationship between fans and artists. Vocalists get treated quite savagely by audiences, yep. but I've heard a lot of positive, a lot of people coming on the podcast to do the Twitch thing, talking very positively about that in their relationships and having a much better relationship with the audience because of exactly that, just being more transparent, showing them how it is. And then I think they're able to empathize more. I think in the past, like vocalists were these distant people we didn't, ever see their process or whatever oh, man. and if you had a bad performance just how the shit people would say in the crowd like oh. i'm in the crowd i can hear you <laughs> yeah and but now uh the hyperspace live stream was a perfect example because i went back and i watched the video and while you're watching the video the chat is live on the side oh man and i'm watching the chat and no joke like 10 seconds after i pull out my in-ear monitors like in the middle of a song I see people on stage or on the chat and they're like, oh, something's wrong with the in-ear monitors. He can't hear himself. And then they're like, fuck, he's singing this good without being able to hear himself. Like he's just saying, fuck it. Oh, wow. And just singing the song, whatever. There's like sick. That makes this show even better that like they're doing an amazing job despite not being able to hear themselves. And that yeah. kind of shit warms my heart that like, you know, people who are not musicians, not producers, they're not our, our colleagues and peers. It's one thing when like you say it because you I know, you know, you get it. You've been on stage a hundred times and you understand what it's like. But for someone who has no concept of what it's like to be able to empathize and be like, you know what? Yeah, I saw that your monitors got fucked up in the middle of whatever song. And then you nailed every part after that and for the rest of the set. Dude, you fucking killed it. That was awesome. 
That's one of the best That's things that cool. we can hear because then we're not beating ourselves up for the rest of the festival. Oh, I had the same thing happened to me at that festival. The in-ear pack that I have, like it either got dropped. I feel like a solder came loose from the electronics on the inside because it's just like cutting in and out so badly. So right away in the first song, I also I just took them out and I just started like directing the guy to give me a little floor monitors. And I was doing a lot of this, like plugging my ear because it was just so distracting. It was like cutting in and out. And so it just, I just didn't want to do it. I just took them out and set them right on the front of the stage. And, you know, it's just like, that's, but that's really cool that the audience is starting to see these are the realities of what we do. It's not this machine. You're not a machine. There's extenuating circumstances and things that change on the fly, sometimes right there on stage. So Ravenous is a melodic metal band. Would you classify it specifically as power metal? We do to keep things simple, but yeah. I think when you say power metal, people envision us in like silk shirts. They think they know. think immediately like Stradivarius, like that's what they yeah, think. Yeah, singing about dragons or anything else of the ilk. They'll assume we have some sort of operatic something and symphonic something. And like none of those things are wrong, but it, like people get an image in their head when you say power metal. I mean, our whole thing is we try to bring like the aggression back into power metal because for us and the bands that we play in, like, you know, I've always played in thrash metal bands. Bunch of guys in the bands are in like black metal bands. And it's the kind of thing where we want to bring the aggression of what it is that we love about heavy metal, you know, the speed, the the power, the fucking angriness of it all, and bring that back into power metal because you get so much of that silk shirt frilliness, which I love personally. This isn't like a way of contending it and being like, oh, that stuff's for fairies. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. That stuff rules. I love D&D metal and like as cheesy and epic as it gets, I love it all, but our personal representation and what it means for us. Like we come from a cold, shitty place. Yeah. Like I'm freezing my ass off in the middle of June in my house. Yeah. Because it's like cold and gross outside. And that makes you write different music than, yes. let's say if you came from Brazil and it's like nice, beautiful weather all the time, you will write different music depending on the, the climate that you come from. I feel like metal always infuses with the basic like ethnic culture of wherever it's from. You've got bands from Israel and, you know, Orphan Land pulls from like their culture. You get bands from Scandinavia and they pull all this, all the like symphonic bands are mostly started in Europe. You know, where, where does the Western symphonies come from? Europe, you know, and then America, we have our own slant on metal. That's definitely more like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> hard rock, aggressive type stuff and you know you're right your climate your culture that's going to reflect everything you write about well the only reason I asked that was because the thing is I've never seen in North America such a huge like melodic slash power metal thing happen and now I feel like Twitch specifically it all started with Unleash the Archers and streamers and gamers like playing their music during the thing and then the nerds world has sort of become like the actual trend and when I went on a tour where we played with Unleash the Archers I couldn't believe it um, I was sending pictures to my friends and I see your band doing really well and I see all this happening and you mentioned collaborating with all of them on Twitch and I feel like it's responsible for a whole new scene that previously didn't exist in North America, you know? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I mean, the the funny thing is that metalheads and nerds have kind of been synonymous to me for as long as I can remember. Like, most of the people that were coming out were either, you know, like, we, we have a big, like, oil rig scene where we come from. It's, like, a lot of oil production. So there's a lot of dudes that, like, work out in oil fields and just, like, have a weekend off, want to blow some steam, and they happen to end up at a metal show. But uh, then the other side was, like, a bunch of IT nerds 
that are just like, yeah, we love power metal. Uh, we have jobs, so we have money to spend on merch. And it, it, it's kind of a funny thing that combines together, but with a booming tech industry in your city and like a booming oil industry, you just basically have like the two most supportive kind of people that like come out, pay for shows. They don't ask for guest lists. I can't remember the last time someone asked me for guest lists for a gig. Wow. And they come out, they pay for their tickets, they drink a shit ton, they tip their bartenders, they buy an ass load of merch, and then they go home and they're happy. And having that, you know, locally, it sucks that we can't have it every city we play in, but having it locally where you grow up, you can almost create your own central hub where it's like sustainable to be in a band. We've paid off every album we've ever put out within a year of releasing it. Whoa, that's huge, actually. Yeah, but then then you go to the Twitch side of it again when we're talking about Twitch, then you're you're tapping into that access for some of the other people that are like that, but just not near you. And the funny thing is that, you know, yeah, it's almost no local people. Like we have a few key local people that were like really big Ravenous fans, wanted to get in and see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And like, I go into everything. I'll show them full vocal production and I'll do, you know, all 16 layers of my harmonies, oh, wow. show them every note I screw up. I'll teach them how to edit vocals and I'll show them how I use, you know, all the different software I do to make the perfect vocals that they hear on the album. Like I'll dig into every little bit and just pull the curtain away. But then all the people that are in Europe, in Greece, in, you know, Finland, wherever the hell they're coming from, and they're just all over the world. And they're just watching, being like, hey, this is cool. I'm like, it's like midnight for you, but I'm at work right now. And uh, I'm stoked at watching you, you know, do your thing. So yeah, it's it's been interesting that the nerds of the world have been what have like boosted the power metal scene up because realistically, maybe 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, a lot of those guys were still like in school doing their thing you know, whatever it may have been, but now they're they're out of in the workforce and they got jobs and they want to support the thing they love and that's power metal. That is so cool to hear you talk about that because that's what I was trying to tell people was it's surging basically because, right, as technology has advanced, it's like it's the nerd's world now, you know? We're in it, you know? You're either a part of it or you're in it, you know? And it, it's been making some really, really cool things surge in popularity, including power and melodic metal and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of blown away by it, to be honest with you. I've seen a lot of European power metal bands come here in the last year or two that just never would have come like playing to packed houses and stuff and just again how America traditionally has been it's really been devoid of that but mostly I'm seeing the increase in people like yourself people from North America making the power metal which is also very very new yeah we we get that comment often especially if we play with American bands to anyone listening in Europe, you know, when we say American, like I'm from Canada, so we create a difference between Canadian and American. But the reality is anybody outside of North America is just like, it's all, it's all American. Exactly. They to have the same kind of tones and sounds, but we get it when we play with American bands and they're just like, yeah, you guys have a really like European festival kind of sound to your power metal. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what that means, man, but I'm going to take it as a compliment. Um, you know, it's not like it's obviously what has influenced us, but we listen to everything. Like I'm in, I'm inspired mostly when people like what inspires you to write. It's mostly like black metal and video games. Those are the two things that inspire me to write music. And it's hilarious when people hear our music and they're like, you know, these sing along choruses, like, well, how do you get that from black metal? And like, well, that's, that's just how it makes me feel. Black metal makes me want to sing along. And I try to transfer that into the music. So same thing when you talk about power metal in North America. Yeah, there was a long time that we were mostly getting extreme metal, thrash metal, and we're known for a lot of that. Some of the biggest bands from Canada are just thrash metal and death metal bands. Like up until Unleash the Archers came and made a huge splash in the power metal scene, we basically had like Razor, Exciter, Sacrifice, 
You know, uh, you know, Cryptopsy, Gorguts, like we have all these huge bands, but they're on the extreme side. Yeah. I can't remember the last time there was a Canadian power metal band that was like, you know, in on like on top in the international market. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like North America until recently was super devoid of that. And you guys are part of this like huge resurgence, which is really cool. I mean, just looking at something like the Hyperspace Festival that we did together, um, just the fact that there's enough of a scene and enough quality bands to support that on a regular basis, like they've been doing it a few times now, is um, mind-blowing because like 10 years ago, that just would not have been possible, I don't think. <laughs> oh, no. If you would have told a venue 10 years ago you're going to do a power metal festival, they'd just be like, why? They'll be like, <laughs> you know? yeah, who, who's going to play it? Um, yeah. This is so cool. Well, and so then, speaking of power metal, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was having different vocal qualities. So you mentioned earlier you were like, ah, I'm all weird and being on Twitch, but I think that is important. Like, I think if you are a bit of a character or you have something unique, like it is a sea of musicians right now. So I actually think that is really important. Like I think if you were just sort of cookie cutter, like everybody else, like what reason would they have, you know, you're just copying everything that's already been done, you know? So, and one of the things I think that's unique about you is obviously your voice. It's, it's a more lower voice, like a baritone voice. And, um, obviously if the people listening can hear that I have a super low voice too. I have like a tenor voice, but in a female body. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I actually don't think I've had anybody on the podcast yet with like a reasonably low voice, especially in the power metal genre. I mean, we we all love Falconer. You know, that's great. It's very hard for me to pinpoint to another baritone in power metal or in melodic metal like you have your yorns and people like that who go up and but i feel like he's a baritone who still lives like above middle c the whole time what's been your experience kind of like having a lower voice do you do anything differently with your vocal exercises or your writing or your covers because you have a lower voice yeah that's that's a lot to unpack but um okay so let's let's start with the first question being you know in power metal with a lower voice because that is that's pretty much one of the biggest challenges. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and, you know, we, we got into heavy metal real early. We played a lot of Magic the Gathering as kids. So there was like a natural tie between power metal and playing, you know, fantasy nerd games. So we really enjoyed it. But growing up as a kid and like hitting puberty super early and my voice got real deep real quick as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd be singing songs and I could basically just never sing along with all my friends. You know, you got like, we used to play Man of War drinking games as kids. We were having like house parties and everyone's <laughs> singing along to Man of War songs. And every time they say metal or king or sword, you have to take a drink. I'd be singing along with my friends. I'm like, man, I can't hit any of these notes. And like Eric Adams isn't even like that high of a singer. Um, and I'd, I'd try singing along to stuff. We'd have cover bands growing up and it could never hit any of the notes. Basically, I'd have to like always sing things an octave lower. Mm -hmm. and, and it just takes away from the power of like where your natural voice sits. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're singing an octave lower from someone else, it it doesn't really quite hit in the same way. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, I'm not built for power metal. I enjoy it. But you know what? I'll just start a thrash metal band or I'll sing death metal or, you know, I'll sing opera or, you know, literally do any other kind of project yeah. that doesn't require me to hit those like high falsetto notes mm -hmm. because basically if you can't do that, then you can't play power metal. So that's how I grew up. That was my mentality and it stuck with me for a long time. Um, then I basically did this like huge European tour, a personal tour of just hopping to festivals, trying to get inspiration, 
you know, reached, uh, I was like 25, 26, really needed that quarter life inspiration. Yeah. And I just went to like every festival I could for like three or four months. And then when I got back, you know, I was super inspired and, and kind of had the idea of creating Ravenous, right? I wanted to create a band that had all the best elements of power metal, but didn't fit into any of those stereotypical molds. And because, you know, myself being super eclectic, I kind of recruited guys based on that. So, you know, I got a guy that fronts a really popular prog metal band locally and another guy that fronts a really popular black metal band locally. I also got a guy that has a polka band that like plays weddings and nice. like, bar mitzvahs and stuff. And, you know, I, I really just kind of pulling all these guys together and basically say, you know, here's the vision. Here's the idea. I want to create, you know, for lack of a better term, angry power metal. But, you know, I want to get songs where we play fast. We have dynamics. We have the sing along choruses. But there's also just that element that you get from, I guess, from more like 80s speed power metal. Yeah. That can kind of bring in all those elements. So let's say if you talk specifically about Halloween and Blind Guardian, mm -hmm. you know, both uh, Kai Hansen and Hansi, they, you know, both have higher voices. We wouldn't put them on the baritone register, but, you know, they also like push a lot of things with their false chords and all that kind of stuff. So I said, let's take all the elements of the way that stuff makes us feel. But let's tune it down, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, let's write things with the vocalist in mind. Yes, and yes. That's <laughs> that's been a huge thing because, I mean, talking, let's say, um, to our guitar player, Jake, you know, he writes amazing music and he writes great lyrics and all this kind of stuff. And then I'll go into the studio and try to demo this stuff. And I'll say, hey, man, I, I need to, you know, I got some notes. Most importantly, you don't leave any space for me to breathe. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, what's breathing? You know, I'm a guitar player. I just breathe with my hands. What's what's breathing? Yeah, they have no idea. If you have all these cool elements and all this stuff, you need to give the singer a second to breathe in between lines because you can do this, you know, digitally in the studio, no problem. Different vocal layers, there's just never a chance to breathe. But if you're doing it live, you can't be like yeah. tearing down what the original song is in order to make it work for someone's physical body. Then second of all, it's like you can retune a guitar and you can change it to whatever tuning you need it to be, but you can't retune someone's vocal cords. No. So, you know, this, the elements of this, and then, and I literally showed him digitally. I was like, here's the demo, the way you wrote it with like the most natural take. Now I'm going to tune it down, change some of the words so that I have space to breathe. And now listen to how much more powerful this performance is. Yeah. And by bringing it down a couple notes, yep. you know, suddenly then if he was, even he was just like, oh, holy shit. We should play this on a seven string, tune it down so that you could do this because this sounds way better. Yes. And it's it's a difficult thing, though, unless you're someone like if you're like me and you have the capabilities, you can take a song, detune it, change all these things and then send it back to the person. And they're like, oh, yeah, that is better. But if you tell someone I need to tune down your song and rewrite some things, then they're like, mm, I don't know. You know, I like the song the way it is right now. Yeah. So it's a huge challenge, especially you know, I get asked to do guest vocals for other people and they're like, oh, I love your voice. Uh, we got this song, blah, blah, blah. And they'll send me the demo and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I totally, I'm, I'm into this and I'm happy to do it. And then you go to sing it and you're like, man, this is, this wasn't written with a singer in mind. This was like written by a guitar player. This is written by oh, somebody yes, who has never, yes. had to, never had to breathe a second in their life. And, and it makes it difficult for collaboration and for writing and all that kind of stuff. Same thing too with the covers. We have a full cover album that we're working on right now from our like kickstarter backers so we had a bunch of people that were oh, paying sick. extra for kickstarter to basically be like hey i want you to cover this song yeah 
and we'd go in and listen to the song and be like, all right, we could do this. We can figure it out. But then we, the first thing you have to decide is where is the high end of your vocal range? Because that determines the tuning that you're going to record the cover in. You can do all these badass covers. People don't perceive key changes in the audience. Like you're saying, like, it's a better performance, it's a better tone. It fits in your pocket of your range where you sound good. They don't know why that is. Like, I feel like the audience doesn't perceive, like, key changes very well or even have a concept of that. They're not... I mean, it's hard to get that concept across to other musicians who understand it, like, as you were mentioning, you know, so I feel like it always works. You always need to move the key or the tone, like, into where it fits the vocalist or you just are not going, even the best vocalist ever trying to sing something that's not in their own range will sound lousy. Honestly, the biggest, um, the biggest time that you see that or the, the time that I see it the most is when you hear people singing national anthems at like sports events yes that is actually the number one thing because no one ever notices that it's in a different key there is no like quote unquote original key for most national anthems but you'll hear some people sing them and it's just like they just nail it and it's amazing and then you see those other people and they're like and the home of the brave and it's just like man why didn't you tune that down why don't you tell them hey i want to sing the national anthem in this key because this is the key that I can sing it in. You can just take like the piano app on your phone. And then if you do it acapella, learn the starting note of the key that you're going to go in. And like literally right before you start, go like, you know, push the button on the phone. And, and then you can, if, if it was acapella, you could do exactly the same thing. Because the problem with the American national anthem is uh, it actually spans like over an octave. So people always start it way too high. I call that also the yeah. living on a prayer mistake <laughs> where people yeah. people can sing. <laughs> people can sing the verse, but you know, you know, when they get to the chorus, you're like, oh, man, this is not going to go good. Like you can see it coming. Yeah. Like, <laughs> See, I love that, though. At the same time, I'm never like fault anyone for it because maybe this is like the the baritone empathy. But when I see it in other people, I'm like, hey, man, you know, you fucked up. But at the same time, it's the exact same problem that I have. Yeah. And that's why we're very mindful when we write. It's not just about, you know, how do you make a killer song? It's about how do you make everything fit? And the most important thing is when you start touring, if you're the type of band that only does studio work, you'll you'll feel comfortable with really uncomfortable notes because you only got to sing them once or twice and you're good to go. As soon as you're off doing 30 days in a row, you know, you really start to realize, you're like, what the fuck did I do to myself? Why did I write this? This is agony to sing live every single night. And now I have to accommodate this song rather than writing to still have the power and but be comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Well, that is like, you know, the vocal economy, right? So like, even when I've toured with guys who had higher voices than me, you know, that were real high tenor power metal dudes, most of the time, if you actually look at it, it's tuned down a half or a whole step from where they recorded it because they know darn well that even where they recorded in the studio again, over 30 days, they've got to do that every night. And a half or whole step, I think, is barely audibly perceptible unless you're like really got perfect pitch or something, which is very rare. That's something I see really commonly. And it's mostly like super high voiced people I see doing it. So people don't realize like even the super high voiced people you see are tuning down a little bit for the tour. You know, if they didn't already write there to do exactly what you just said, you're a human being. Well, and especially if you're a human being like me. So you asked me about vocal exercises. I'm going to I'm going to do a voice hacks uh, faux pas 
right here, I don't do warm-ups or cool-downs. Wild. I also drink a lot of alcohol. I eat a lot of spicy food. I smoke and I drink coffee all the goddamn time. So I am the worst, <laughs> the worst person, the worst candidate when it comes to quote-unquote vocal health. But at the same time, I also have that lifestyle where, you know, a lot of partying and a lot of all that kind of stuff on tour that vocal economy becomes really important and really understanding where the right you know notes sit and how everything works but also just small things like you can't also run the vote the merch booth when you're out on tour because then you can't be screaming all day yelling about prices of different t-shirts and then jumping up on stage and performing getting shit sleep and then doing it all again 30 days in a row Absolutely. I always tell every single one of my students, the place you're going to have the most danger at your gigs is the merch booth. Don't stop standing at the fucking merch booth. <laughs> if I could ask them to not do anything, it would be do not talk to people at the merch booth. You're going to need to learn to. I have a friend in a death metal band who's a voice doctor as well. <laughs> and he's like, he does a lot of this, like, you know, like a lot of mouthing, like, thanks a lot. like Yeah. Hand signals, yeah. you know. 27, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, but that's the thing. You have to, you know, it's it's your instrument. That's the talking loud is the biggest thing. It's not so much people singing. Like when people go to Nam or whatever, it's the loud talking. People will go hoarse by the next day. Nobody's been singing anything. They're just speaking loudly. Yeah, yeah. The, um, this is a big one. Uh, I get... I used to get called out on this until like a lot of people in our local bar industry kind of do this, but I plug people's ears when I speak to them in like a loud event. I'll literally like just take my thumb and like put it in front of their ear and then I'll also have my, or I'll have my earplugs in and people are like, oh, is it like too loud for you? I'm like, no, I have my earplugs in so I can hear myself in this insanely loud environment so that I'm not screaming because that's half of what the yelling at shows is, is so you can hear yourself, not so the other person can hear you. But then the other side, is so you're not screaming into someone's ear because anytime someone comes up to me and they try to talk to me while a band is playing, I'll just be like, I'll talk to you after the band is done. Because mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to have a full conversation of you screaming in my ear, us barely hearing each other and me destroying my voice for the next day. That's the thing. If you are at the show, you can't. Yeah, you just can't be talking to people. And again, the decibel levels in each other's ear is really strong as well. You know, we're trying to avoid issues with that. So these are the biggest problems, you know. Honestly, you're avoiding so much by just tackling that one thing. I don't necessarily think that people have to live a super hygienic vocal lifestyle because I do think that there's a lot more to the technique and stuff, you know, obviously like some things, you know, will be better or worse for us, but I, I, I get really concerned about people's stress level. So say they're like, oh, I'm not going to drink at all, you know, and like maybe having a beer a couple times on tour helps them stay a little bit relaxed. I'm talking about like people who live a, like a fairly reasonable, like don't have a problem with it or whatever. I don't necessarily know if like taking away everything, like for me, I'm guilty of the caffeine thing, right? So I don't necessarily know like taking all those things away from people. If you have mental stress, you also have vocal problems. You have a vagus nerve connection to some of this, the ligaments and the muscles in here. And it, it can actually mess you up if you your stress gets too high. So sometimes I'm kind of like, well, I it, you know, everything in moderation in a way, because if you're too stressed out, but you're totally clean, straight edge, you know, for that tour or whatever. You're, you're going to have a bad yeah. time. That's literally exactly yeah. what it is. And I, I actually say that to most vocalists when they do ask, you know, with like 
warm-ups and things like that like i am not saying those things are not important those things are very important they're extremely important but the most important thing honestly is sleep and it's the one thing that all vocalists seem to not get any of when they're yeah. on tour especially because usually the vocalist is the one running the merch booth taking care of all these other things you know like there may be a bit of a diva complex when it comes to some vocalists but for the most part they really do need to be treated a little special because if if your guitar player is sick, he's still going to be able to go up on stage, or he or she, they will still be able to go up on stage and perform, right? Like you got a bit of a cough, you got some phlegm, whatever. If we have that, the whole show is over. It's if room. the singer can't perform, there is no show. There is no show. Even a bass player, you could have backup tracks recorded. No offense to bass players. <laughs> <laughs> I love how everyone goes to the bass player for backing tracks. There was like, uh, it's, it's just funny to me because we've had so many bands that I know that are like close friends. And they end up having an issue with their bass player. So they're like, oh, fuck it. We'll put them in the backing tracks. And then now it seems like every second tour that I see come through here, there's just no bass player on stage. And you know what? No one fucking notices. <laughs> they're just like, oh, the band was sick. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, yeah, actually, you know what? They were. They were sick. Look how much room they had for activities on so stage. So much room for activities. Oh, my God. You know, vocal economy is super important. Tuning is super important, you know. I also spent many years not understanding why I couldn't do some of the things. I used to be a huge Flora Jensen fan, but long, you know, many years before she was like the big viral star she is now, which she totally deserves because the reason I was always a fan of hers was the vocal technique. And even on the early After Forever records, I would be trying to like match what she's doing and the thing is if you look at the octaves of most people it's like most people actually have uh, about the same amount of octaves at their disposal so there's a lot of overlap but it's like where your belt breaks are gonna happen you know so there's some songs like you could be a contralto like me and if it's all opera you can kind of get it maybe because there's no belt break in there but at the same time it doesn't sound like Taria it doesn't sound like Floor and Floor is doing a lot of belting and flipping so I could never get the belt you know where it was because it's a soprano and I'm not only not a soprano I'm like a contralto more like a male vocalist so when I really got liberated with changing the key and moving because this is the thing in classical music what I did in college that's what they make you do they'll give you like this is the Schubert songs but all the keys are in your voice so you would you would get the here you go Rav here's the low voice book of Schubert songs here's the low voice book of Brahms songs so it's like everyone's doing similar repertoire but it's like here's the tuning for you so like I came from a world where that was just normal you know and once I started doing that with metal and rock, it was a lot less frustrating. It was a lot more rewarding. I'll tell you that. I, I find it so funny because, you know, I, I have no formal training in anything. Wow. Like, music production, singing, playing guitar, playing drums, playing bass. These are all things that I just took it upon myself to learn and wanted to know. Right. I'll still bring in professionals, but I taught myself mm -hmm. everything. But the one thing that I, I did know from watching professionals like, especially if you watch jazz professionals, you'd be like, hey, like this song, uh, let's do it in E. Okay, let's do it in E. And they just go and they uh -huh. start playing it. Uh, this song, uh, fuck it. Today we'll do it in G. All right, let's do it in G. Like they are actual professionals. And when you say that to a, a metal musician, hey, can we just like play this song in a different key? It's like blasphemy to them. You're like, no, no, no. We play in E standard only and yada, yada, whatever. They're like fiercely loyal to tunings. <laughs> It's and so like, stupid. Man, this this does not matter one bit because in the end, it, what matters is, you know, who's singing it with you, how they're going to sing it. And this determines who we get for any sort of guest vocalists 
you know, how is it going to fit in the pocket for yeah. them? The tuning side is really more important, but the other side is um, vocal character. Yeah. So when you're speaking about floor and, you know, the notes they hit, this is a common thing that I get. I get people asking me for vocal lessons all the time and I tell them no, um, because I have no formal training. Whatever I teach you will probably end up destroying your vocal cords rather than making them better. Although I can give you like coaching advice and give you marketing advice. I can give you, you know, how to be a better show person advice, but I will never give you advice on how to be a better singer. Because yeah. I think the reality for me is I've developed by not having any sort of training, have developed that unique character and unique technique that works for me. Right. I know how to get vocal economy out of my voice. I know how to do whatever it is I need to do. And at the same time, it's created this character in my voice that I think some people that I consider better singers than me that are like, man, you have this like super cool, unique voice. And like, I wish I could like sing like you. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You're like one of the best singers in our city. I've heard your covers. I've heard your originals. You have phenomenal range, impeccable pitch, like amazing vocal tuning. Like, you're incredible. And they're like, yeah, but I can't do like that one thing, you know, when you like scream and it's like, ah, and you sound like, you know, an angry jazz musician and all of a sudden it's like, I can't do that. Like I'll, I'll fry my voice and you do it for like 45 minutes straight every single day. I'm like, yeah, but that's something that improper technique when tamed and trained properly can do, but I don't recommend it for anyone else. I recommend you find your own version of that. And people will be like, oh, well, I want to sing like this person. I'm like, no, you want to sing like you. And the more you sing, the more you will find your voice. The biggest thing that people say too is they're like, oh, well, how do you know, like, how do you do it live and everything? I'm like, I have in-ear monitors so I can hear myself. I'd say the most important things that you need, and honestly, more important than any piece of gear, get yourself in-ear monitors so that you can hear yourself. That'll give you all the vocal economy that you need and get a front of house guy. If any piece of gear could be replaced, it's not a front of house person. If you have someone that knows you, knows your sound, knows your band, and can tell how you're feeling. Oh, they're a little stressed today. You know, I know I need to turn them up a little bit in their ears or I need to adjust the reverb or whatever it may be. I've sat and watched friends who are professional front of house guys and mixers for, you know, like committed to bands, like uh, Cal Decapitations guy, for example, Colin. And he sits there, he's like, mm, you know what? This guy's a little uh, off today. I can kind of tell. I'm going to mix accordingly so that the show comes out better and that so they can hear themselves better. And the whole thing is going to be better. Yeah. All because I am adjusting to how they are versus someone that comes in, dials in your five minute line check and then goes and smokes for the whole time that you're on stage. Oh, exactly. Or they hit like um, a template, you know, they've got some settings saved because it's all digital now and just like load it up and walk away. Basically, that's a yeah. huge point because um Live sound, there's a whole lot of other factors going on. And you mentioned hearing yourself, which is absolutely paramount. You know, you've got to be able to hear it. But I liked what you said earlier about um, vocal color and tones and people trying, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. There's just as many people with high, bright voices that wish they had dark voices. There is power in tones that the lower, darker voices can do that the high voices simply cannot do. No matter how much they practice, they can't sing any lower. And there are things about the frequency of the sound of that specific pitch and like where it resonates in the body that if you can't sing to that note, like you said, you have to accept your own voice because you can move the key up and do it on your own lowest notes, but they're still not going to resonate in the same part of the body as the original key. Same thing if I take a high song and tune it down, like it'll be in a similar spot for me, but it is still going to 
sound like me, even if I tune it down, it's not going to sound like the way Ann Wilson did it or whatever, you know. It, but I've heard this a lot. Tobias Samet was made a huge post one time about how he loves Yorn, but he's super jealous of him. And Tobias <laughs> is like amazing and super high voice. And Yorn is more of like a distorted, like higher baritone. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. You know, th there's tones that some of us can do because that's our physiology and our range that no matter how much, you know, we practice, um, we can't like become that other person. Yeah. I say that all the time to people with lawyer, lawyer, <laughs> to people with lower voices. <laughs> lawyer voices. Lawyer voices. That sounds, <laughs> that's <honor>. all. <laughs> um, people, I say all the time to people with lower voices that, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself is um, don't compromise. Don't always get that whole, you know, grass is greener on the other side. Force yourself to ruin your voice and push and damage your vocal cords just to kind of appease these other people. The reality is, if somebody wants your voice, they will accommodate to make it happen. And mm -hmm. I've had that with other people where I've said, hey, man, you, you need to re-record this song, tune it down, if you want me on this. If you don't, I totally understand. But like, you know, after doing the demo takes and whatever, it's it's the important thing is don't compromise who you are, yes. what your vocal character presents, because you cannot change that. Everyone else can change everything else. You can literally change everything else about the instrumentation. It is so easy to do digitally even. And, and that's the reality is, you know, if they really want you on there, they will do what it takes to get you on there. And if they don't, fuck them. You didn't need them anyway, because you don't want a poor representation of your voice. And it's it's happened to me a couple times with a few of the earlier um, gigs that I took on with like doing guest vocals that you have versions of your singing out there that you're like, man, this sounds like shit. Yes. Um, there is no worse feeling in the world than having something that is permanently out there that you are unhappy with. So never compromise your vocals. It's something that cannot change. If people really want you, they they will accommodate to make it happen. And the song will be better for it. I 100% agree. And I'm so glad you're saying it out loud, though, because um, there's a lot of people listening who need to hear this, you know, who need that encouragement. And this has happened to me, too. I There was a period of time a couple of years ago where I was just knocking out the session work like crazy. I don't do it anymore because... It was just honestly too much for my voice. <laughs> like I have to teach lessons. I can't. I can't like be doing all that singing on top of it. But um, there was a few times I turned it down because I because again it was clearly written for a soprano, and not as you keep mentioning like even skilled instrumentalists aren't always aware of like vocal ranges and range limitations and all that. And I I remember I told the guy I was like, well, this is a cool song. This is really great. But like in this key and in this tuning, this is for a soprano vocalist. There's like no way that I can do this in this key. So here's a list of my soprano friends that you can reach out to. Right. And he wrote me back like, no, no, I think you're good enough. Like you're good enough to do it. And I was like, no, it, it, it's not a skill yeah. <laughs> problem. I was like, it's a range problem. You know, it's here and I'm here. Regardless of skill, I it's not it, the right instrument, you know, you're giving me. Yeah, a, I don't have enough frets in my throat to do this. Yes, yeah, so like you're asking a cello player to sing a violin part. Like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, hey, man, like it doesn't matter how good I am at cello. You're asking for a totally different instrument. Yeah, you're asking like the Barry sax to play the oboe like or something. It just doesn't. Yeah. Or the, the, yeah. The, the, no, bro, I believe in you. You got this. Don't <laughs> worry. You're good enough. I'm like, very sweet of you. 
not relevant to the conversation. That's exactly how it went down. And I was just like, no, no, but you don't understand. (laughs) So you you have to do that because I've made that mistake too. I think all low voice people go through this where we make the mistake of, I hate to say it, kind of getting obsessed with people's like, wow, over the high notes, which is so funny because if you actually put it in your own key and it sounds high relative to you, people still do the wow thing. (laughs) I was going to bring that up. That's the other thing is it's all relative to your own voice. If people sing, hear you sing a high note, like here's the thing. If you're starting off a song at the top of your range, anything that you belt will not sound belty in comparison because you're already pushing your vocal cords from the beginning of the song. But this goes down to composition too. Like I'm a very big proponent of like good songwriting and I, I do this. Like this is my job for other bands. I help them write good songs. I produce and I, I, bring out the best in them. And half of it is the subtraction element. Mm-hmm. It's not the adding. Good songwriting is not about how much more could you stack on top of each other. It's about how much could you pull away so that the moments where you are pushing all those moments, usually the chorus, hit so much harder. That dynamic, that relative, you know, whatever it is. If you have everything turned up to 11 all the time, your song is actually gonna be boring as shit. Uh, if you yeah. have a song that starts at five, builds up, goes down to two at one specific spot, and then jumps up to 11, then it's like, you, no matter where your voice sits at, you will be able to create that same effect, that same power, that same wow yes. element, and you don't have to be hitting those like, fucking notes. Well, and that's the thing, and from teaching lessons and seeing where, like how far out, cause I'll take people as far out as they can physically go, but realistically with the hundreds of people I've given lessons to, it's about the same distance. Cause like there's obviously people who are physically exceptional. There are, all, it's just like an athlete. Of course, there's always someone who can be a contortionist, but the average person cannot be a contortionist, you know? Like it's, it's stuff like that where like, okay, yes, there's Mike Patton who has five octaves, but I've literally never had a vocal client once that had five octaves. I've only even met one person in real life that had five octaves. So, um, you know, most people, it's like three and a half octaves and we're talking about like your lowest low to your highest falsetto your belt range your non-falsetto regular singing voice is usually only two and a half octaves of that where it can physically max out at you know like where you can't train any farther you know where you hit your physical limit most people don't have all that because they haven't practiced but their chords could like probably do that that's probably realistic to train to but it's like where those two and a half octaves start and end when your belt's high or when you belt high, it sounds high because people don't have perfect pitch. They only have relative perception. They can't literally hear what the note is. Only those perfect pitch people that ruin it for us. But you know, (laughs) so yeah, this is, this has basically been my journey in, in playing in power metal. And thankfully, you know, I, I play with musicians that get it. And you know, the fact that I can record things in my studio and then send it to them and show them the difference. Right then they can accept it and say, you know what, this makes the whole song better. Let's just do it this way. This makes so much more sense. And, you know, this cover album that we have coming out, I mean, some of these, some of these songs are like five semitones lower than the original. So what is that? Two and a half steps. And it's, yeah, that's, you know, like I've heard it, I've heard people do far. I do. I'll do farther than that. If I need to, I don't think that how far it is should be a limitation. I think that's good. It doesn't even matter at that, at that point, because anyone hearing it, they still hear the notes that, you know, make up the original song. They hear the structure, but then they, they get that, that power that comes from playing in a range that's comfortable to you. And that's what ultimately makes it better. And Funny enough, it's not even really a problem for covers because, you know, you have studios, you can change tunings. It's more a problem when I go out drinking with my friends and going to karaoke bars. 
Because one of my favorite things, as you and I yep. have done together, is going to karaoke <laughs> after a show. Uh, and it's it's one of the worst things you can do for your voice. Definitely do it on the last day of a tour or the last day of like a festival. But oh, yeah. one of the best things is just going out to karaoke with all your singer friends that played a fest and just have fun. And that's really where you see it because, you know, they can't change the tuning. So whatever the song is, that's what works. And you see people go up and sing things and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They got this. Oh, no. The chorus came. They Yeah. No, they definitely don't got this. And that, but that's that's, the that's exactly part. The, well, the living on a prayer mistake I was talking about. You know, that's where you see it at the bar. You're like, oh, God. Oh, God. It's coming. And, and that's like, even with friends that are all professional singers. They're all hanging out after, you know, an amazing festival doing their thing. And it's one of the most humbling things. Like people think we do it to get like this ego trip. Because you see people that are like, you know, not singers enjoying themselves at karaoke. They see someone who is a singer and they're like, oh, Mr. I want to show everyone up at the karaoke bar. I'm like, no, dude, it's literally the opposite. I want to like bring everyone down to earth because just to remember that like we're we're not that good of singers that we could just sing everything and anything. We sometimes want to just get drunk, sing songs that are way out of our range, fuck it up and just have a good time because the amount of yes. stress that gets put on vocalists on like nailing that note is is ultimately what will destroy your voice so find the things that keep you like push yourself to be uncomfortable in a sense of developing and pushing yourself further but don't ever push yourself to the point that you're like destroying your voice because once it's gone you're you're fucked and we know several cases of that in the music industry where it's just like that is exactly what happens when you say yes to too many things and don't just say no that's outside of my range. I need to stop it there. The reality is, is nobody cares about your voice except you. Yeah. And like you said it perfectly how you're like, if, if you say yes, you have to say no. And it's because like that is your instrument. Like nobody can replace it. Nobody cares about it but you. And it's unfortunate, but they don't. Even other musicians are going to push you. And, and if I can give another piece of advice to any of the listeners out there that have lower voices and are afraid to say no, when you say no to something in the right way, People just want you more. People will write a song. They, they'll say, okay, that's cool, whatever. And then they'll come back. Oh, magically, they wrote a song that's two keys lower than what they normally write. And they go, hey, we wrote a song specifically for you, basically, that we want you on. Because now we know how what'll work for you. Like the more you say, not the more you say no, but if you say no, don't be afraid that they won't come back. If people want you, they will find a way to make it work. Absolutely. That's exactly how it is. But I think it also shows some professionalism and people respect that a little bit more. If you, you know it's not going to sound good and you tell them no and they realize, oh, well, I would have been paying, like, especially if it's like session work, I would have been paying for a crappy recording. You're being honest. Save your money. If you do it in a lower key, it'll actually sound good. You'll actually be giving them what they wanted in the first place, which is always comes across a lot more professional than if you do a crappy job on to have a key that you had no business singing in anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell me about what's next for Ravenous and you as a vocalist. You have streams coming up on Twitch. What are you guys up to next? Um, yeah, so we stream sporadically on Twitch. Mm -hmm. uh, it is really just random right now because I just moved into a new house. Sweet. And it has a completely unfinished basement that I have to turn into a recording studio. So cool. God knows how long that'll take of actually renovating the whole place. But then for the actual band, we have uh, our cover album coming out. That's right. So you kept in between albums, mm -hmm. yeah, we decided to make this a thing. People are like, cover albums, oh man, you know, like cover albums are lame. I'm like, this is a very interesting one because we didn't actually pick any of the songs. And it's, it's one thing to be like, here's a bunch of songs that inspired us. Like, nope, these, these are basically songs that we've never heard before. 
and we're going to be doing full covers. Kickstarter backers were the ones that chose the song. Yeah, there's basically a specific tier to help support our last album, Hubris, that came out in October mm -hmm. and basically saying, yep, if you want us to help pay for this album, we'll do a cover of any song you want. And that way it'll help cover some of this cost. And that's what these people picked. And um, yeah, we're pretty much down to just doing the vocals and the guitar solos. And we do those live on Twitch. So we let everybody in the room with us as we're working through things and figuring it all out, which is extremely uncomfortable, but you get real used to showing people that you're not perfect and what work goes into making an album like this. And it should be out this August, uh, August 2022nd, and it's gonna be completely free. So just hop on any source, our website, Bandcamp, any streaming uh, service, it'll be available for free to whoever wants it. That is so cool. You guys are hailing out of Edmonton, right? Is that right? Actually, no, I'm hailing out of Calgary. I'm originally Calgary. from Edmonton, so it creates a lot of confusion, but we're based out of Calgary. That's awesome. I actually think Alberta is the most beautiful province, and I really enjoyed playing in Edmonton and Calgary. They were like some of my favorite places to play. So I, I mean, yeah, they're, they're some of the only places to play. So yeah, it's, it's good that you played there. <laughs> <laughs> There's like four places you can play in Canada, and you play two of them. So that's great. That is a wonderful music town. I mean, I know there's some country music, obviously, up there, but it's got to be good for music, all kinds of metal and the, and the things that you do. Yeah, I mean, it's like... What's the easiest way I can really kind of put it? There is a scene much in the same way that any place that has a populace of, you know, a million plus would have, you know, okay, we've got musics of all different kinds. We've got, you know, a hip hop scene. We've got a metal scene. We've got a country scene. We've got an electronic scene, a strong punk scene. Like you'll get any one of these shows on any given weekend. Mm -hmm. But then the reality just becomes you're still this like isolated hub in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Where the only other place you can play is either driving three hours north to Edmonton or 12 hours west to Vancouver. And like, I oh. drove to that hyperspace festival we played together. And, you know, just imagine saying that to literally anyone that lives anywhere else. Be like, yeah, your next gig is a 12 hour drive away. And that's just like a normal show. It's so brutal. Chewing across Canada is brutal. It's, it's a nightmare. And really, it's kind of one of those things where we talk about it often, but it's like the Canadian curse where it's like, do you want to drive 16 hours between gigs in an empty wasteland? Or do you want to pay five grand each to get a visa to go play the US? Or do you want to pay two grand each to fly to Europe and tour that way? Like there's no easy touring method. There's no weekend warriors. It's like you're either fully committed or you don't tour. I had a Canadian bandmate once when I was in this band called White Empress. And it was like to get her over here for shows. People don't understand how prohibitive it is from certain countries to be able to tour, how difficult it is to come tour in the United States. There's a lot of daunting tasks. Where can people follow you on Twitch and where can they follow you on Instagram? So you guys can follow me at R.A. Voltaire or Rav Voltaire, whatever works for you guys. Just R.A. Voltaire on Twitch, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm very open to sharing my life with people. I'm not a very private person. And then anything for the band, just Ravenous Eternal Hunger. You head to our website, ravenouseternalhunger.com. You'll uh, find all our links to all our stuff. And we love hearing from people, especially, you know, if this podcast made a difference for you, definitely fire us a message. It, it makes us happy to kind of connect with people and continue discussing these topics with other people. Yeah, I feel like we could talk about this a lot longer <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because uh, you really have some great insights. So thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your insight and your career journey with us. I think it's really inspiring. Again, we get low voiced folks on uh, to keep 
just keep our peers, <laughs> people like us, motivated and, and inspired and, you know, keep people wanting to do the things that they love. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks a lot for having me on and uh, giving me a platform to inspire. Yes. If anyone tells you your voice isn't high enough, tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Give them the finger. <laughs> Thanks very much, Raf. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 